And if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Thessalonians. We finished up 2 Thessalonians last week, and I thought it would be good for us to just start back over and go through again, pick up what we missed. If you didn't get sermon notes last week, because I didn't have them here, I did post those on the city, so if you'd like to print those off, uh, feel free to do so if you want to add those to uh, your other notes. I want to spend the next two weeks looking at um, the role that I believe the word needs to have in our life personally as a church, and then looking at the role of discipleship within our church as well. So I want to kind of lay out a, a vision and a desire that I have for church members individually about the priority that the word needs to have in their life. Um, as men in our church, uh, we've been discussing in our pizza and theology, and then even on the cabin trip, we had some time set aside to talk about the role the word is playing in our life right now and where we want to see that go in the future. So I told them that I was going to share uh, some of my thoughts and perspective on that today. And then next week, I want to look a little bit more in depth at how I see discipleship kind of playing out in our church on an individual basis as well. Why that's important and what that looks like and kind of the end goal for it as well. So we'll be looking at that um, more in depth next week. So this week, more learning on your own. Next week, investing that, that stuff that you're learning into somebody else. It's kind of where we'll be next week. So we wrapped up 2 Thessalonians last week uh, with Paul's encouragement for those that are doing good not to grow weary, to, to stay faithful, to stay strong. Told you that it's a reminder to us that when we stop doing what we're supposed to do as Christians, that we run the risk of discouraging people that are trying to be faithful. That there's all kinds of commands and, and commissions in, in the New Testament for faithful people to reach out to the unfaithful, to invest in them, to encourage them, to bear their burdens, to lift them up, to pray for them, to go and confront them with sin. But then he gives kind of an encouragement to those faithful. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. And it's a, it's a, a subtle way of reminding those that are in the church not doing what they're supposed to be doing that, hey, when you do those things, you run the risk of discouraging faithful people. Your actions don't just affect you. Your choices to sin don't just affect you. It affects everybody in the church as a family. And you need to understand that as you make choices to sin, you make choices to wander from the faith, to not be where you're supposed to be kind of thing, you run the risk of discouraging those that are trying to be faithful. And so he's, he's reminding them that their actions don't just affect them. Their choices to sin don't just affect them. It affects those that are trying to be faithful as well. Because they've got to stop what they're doing to go help those people. And the more that happens... The, the, the more there is a temptation to grow weary in having to do that. So we looked at that last week. We said that uh, part of church discipline, its purpose is to help lead sinners to repentance. So ultimately the gospel can speed ahead. And that ultimately church discipline is meant to help people see consequences for their sin. That, that, that God, I believe, uses the church as a means of disciplining people within the church. So that they can feel those consequences. Um, as a loving father disciplines his child, the Lord disciplines his children. And I think part of the way he does that is through the local church. And so uh, we said that we do those things. We keep away from the idol. We step away from that. We, we potentially even remove them from our fellowship so they feel the pressure of what their sin is doing. Um, and then he, he kind of wraps it up by saying that his desire is for peace within the church. And so it's it sounds contradictory. Church discipline doesn't sound like it would lead to peace when you're having to confront people with sin and potentially discipline their sin, but that ultimately it's supposed to lead to peace. It's supposed to lead those individuals to repentance so that everything's working in the church the way that it's supposed to. So that's how Second Thessalonians wrapped up. Today I want to look at how the Word changed the Thessalonians. And what I want to do is to quickly go back through some key verses in First and Second Thessalonians so that we can see how important God's word was in making this church go from new converts to, to a church whose witness was sounding forth in that area. 
They were being uh, faithful with the gospel. They were proclaiming the gospel. Their testimony was going out to other churches. I want us to see how the word was responsible for that. Ultimately, in your notes there, the word was responsible for causing them to believe. And it kept them firm in their faith. It caused them to believe and then it kept them firm in their faith. If we wanted to kind of wrap it all up for what the word does in the church at Thessalonica, it causes them to believe. Paul brings the gospel, brings God's word to them, and they believe it. They're convicted by it. They put their faith and trust in it. And then it causes them to stay firm in their faith as they're persecuted, as they've got false teachers coming to them, as they've got doubts that arise in their mind. It's God's word that keeps them firm in their faith. Now, what I did yesterday is I just kind of read back through First and Second Thessalonians and started writing down things that I could see God's word giving to these people. Um, so these are, I'm sure I missed some of them. Um, but these were things that kind of jumped out to me as I read through these two letters one more time, uh, things that I believe God's word clearly gave to this church. The first one is the word gives us salvation. The word gives us salvation. First Thessalonians chapter one, verses four and five. For we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you. Not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul came, he preached the gospel, they responded to it. They were convicted because the Holy Spirit brought the word to them as well. And, and they turned in faith to this God. In verse 9 for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, we also see that salvation came to this church through the gospel. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. The word gives us salvation. I was reading an article this week and, and the author made a, a statement that really just kind of resonated with me. He said that obviously idolatry is, is worshiping something that's not God. And so he said, we, we worship our way into sin. We worship our way into sin. We begin to treasure something that is not God. We begin to value something that's not God. And we're led into idolatry. Whatever sin it is, we're led into it by worshiping that thing. So we, we're led into sin by worship. So the author was saying that the only way to get out of sin is to worship our way out of sin. That we're to, to increase our affection for Christ to increase our affection for who he is and what he's done for us. And we see this church doing that. They had worshiped their way into sin through idolatry. The gospel shows up and they turn from idolatry to the one true living God. They worship their way out of sin. Their affections for Jesus grow as they learn about this Christ that Paul comes to proclaim to them. Now that's true for initial salvation, but that really rings true for us all through our salvation. Salvation has happened. If you're saved, you're saved, but you're still being saved, the New Testament says. And so as we are prone to fall back into sin, as we're prone to give into temptation, we're guilty of falling into sin because we worship the wrong thing. And so it still rings true that the order, in order to get out of sin, we've got to worship our way out of it. Our affections for Jesus have to grow once again. We're going to talk more in a minute about what that what that looks like. But first of all, it gives us salvation. Secondly, the word gives us a new perspective. The word gives us a new perspective. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. These people are responding to a gospel that doesn't make their earthly life better. It makes it worse. But they find joy in a worse situation. In circumstances that are not desirable, they're finding joy. We see this picture as well in Acts 17, the, the narrative account of the planting of the church at Thessalonica. Acts 17, verse 6 and 7. 
When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. The word gives us a new perspective. It gives us a new allegiance. It gives us a new focus on life, and it gives us a new view on suffering. It radically changes our perspective. We have a new allegiance. We don't serve Caesar. We don't serve the kingdom of this country. We serve Christ. These, these, these people that were not saved brought these Christians before the city authorities and said, these people are preaching something different. They're preaching that we follow a king named Jesus and not Caesar. They're wanting us to live differently than what Rome is telling us to do, what Rome values. It's a new focus on life. It's a new view on suffering. Uh, One of the commentators I was looking at yesterday said that Christ's suffering redeems our suffering. Because Christ has suffered in our place for God's wrath, we now suffer not because God is wrathful towards us, but because God is refining us. And so these individuals bear, uh, bear these difficult circumstances, not because God is angry with these Christians, not because he's pouring out his wrath on these Christians, but because he's refining their faith. So Anna goes through a time now where it's difficult with her house because God is refining her faith, not because he's wrathful towards her. Adam's not out of a job because God is angry and wrathful towards him. He is now enduring suffering differently because Christ suffered in his place. It's now for the purpose of refinement. And you'll remember, Paul draws attention to these Christians and says, wrath is coming on these individuals. When Christ returns, the situation is flipped. And now you enjoy peace and they enjoy eternal wrath, eternal, eternal suffering. So our perspective on suffering changes because of the word. We now view it as refinement and not wrath. Thirdly, the word gives us a message to proclaim. It gives us a message to proclaim. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The gospel gives us a message to proclaim to others. It gives us the news, the good news of what Christ has accomplished so that we can pass that on to others. And Paul was faithful to bring this gospel, this word of God that it was entrusted to him, and he entrusts it to this church Fourthly, the word gives us a model to follow. It gives us a model to follow. In chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 11 and 12, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the, the gospel doesn't just save us. It gives us instructions for how to live our life now that we follow Christ. It gives us the best way to enjoy God's creation. We've talked before. It's not that God just looks down and makes up rules that he thinks will be good. It's that he looks down and says, I created everything. This is the best way to enjoy my creation. There are things that you shouldn't do if you want to enjoy this. There are things that you definitely should do if you want to enjoy creation to the fullest. God's word gives us a model to follow. It gives us instructions. It gives us what's next as far as we've put our faith and trust in Christ. Now what do I do? God's word gives us that. It gives us commands to obey. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 
And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. If we skip to chapter four now, verses one through eight. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God gives us a model to follow, but he commands that model. It's not that he just looks down and says, okay, if you want to enjoy creation to the fullest, you should live this way. It's you must live this way. Because he loves us, at times he doesn't give us the option to do whatever we want to do. He makes it a command. This morning, Lauren was making breakfast and AJ was wanting to, to touch the oven and she had to get very stern with him and had to discipline him to keep his hand from touching the hot oven. Because for her, it's, I want you to enjoy this morning to the fullest and you're not going to enjoy this morning to the fullest if you're touching a hot oven and burning your hand. So it came across very authoritatively. It came across as a command. You won't do this. But there was love behind it of, I don't want you to, to experience this because I want you to experience creation to the fullest. So God gives us commands. He says, don't do these things, not because he wants to rob us of our joy, but because he wants to ensure us that we will have joy. Sixthly, the word gives us truth to correct. It gives us truth to correct things in our life. It guards us from the deception of sin it guards us from the deception of false teaching. In chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 13 through 18, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul gives them instructions about what the future looks like. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to grieve with those that have no hope. He wants the truth of God's word to correct their wrong feelings, to correct their wrong theology, to correct their wrong perspective on the future. So God's word gives us truth to correct things in life. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's reminding them of the theology they already have to correct wrong assumptions that they're making in their life. Verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing with this theology. Encourage each other. You have God's word to correct you, to give you truth about the end. Encourage each other. Correct each other when, you're, when your perspective on eternity gets off. Second Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. God's word gives us truth to protect us from false teaching. Seventhly, the word gives us sanctification and glory. It leads us to sanctification and glory. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 and 14 we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, God's Word. To this, He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's Word that leads us into sanctification, it's God's Word that leads us into glory. As we hold fast, as we stand firm in the truth of God's word, we persevere in the faith so that on that day when Jesus returns, we are there, we are present, ready to be proclaimed holy and blameless, as Paul talks about. He says, I want to present you as a church holy and blameless. The only way to do that is through God's word. And then eighth, eighthly, the word gives us an anchor to hold to. 
The word gives us an anchor to hold to. Verse 15 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. It's God's word that sees us to the end. The Holy Spirit uses God's word to make us hold fast, stand firm to those traditions that have been passed down by the apostles. God's word saves us. God's word holds us. God's word keeps us firm in the faith. So if we were to assess how God's word changed the Thessalonians, it saved them and it kept them saved. It initially causes them to believe in the gospel, and then it keeps them firm in their faith. It gave them examples to follow. It gave them the commands to obey. It gave them a new perspective on life, and they persevered to the end. And by God's grace, the Thessalonians will join us on that glorious day. And we'll be able to, to dialogue with them about their example that they've set for us as a local church application for us the word will increase your faith love and hope if you allow it the word will increase your faith love and hope if you allow it that's the theme that we saw all through these two letters paul's always coming back to their faith their trust in truth increasing their love for each other increasing their hope in the future increasing All those things increase through God's word. Now I want us to look at kind of some practical application for us. What do we do with God's word in our church? We've seen how it affected the church in Thessalonica. Um, Before we get into what this means for you, let's kind of look at at one more segment here on why it's necessary for us to make the word a priority in our life. So number one, why is it necessary to make the word a priority in your life? Why is that necessary? Um, And Tyson sent me an article this week that I thought was interesting about, and I posted it on the Matt 28 site, why the, the Sunday sermon is not enough to sustain you spiritually. That the Sunday sermon is not enough to grow you in, our, in your faith. Now, it plays a role in that. We believe that the proclamation of God's word in a group setting like this is, is the example given to us in Scripture, that it's commanded, that we should be doing it, and that it does have a role in the growth of the church. But it's not enough to grow you spiritually. The, the article equated it to like showing up for... Uh, lectures in a class but doing no outside work in a college class to help prepare you for the assessments just kind of simply showing up listening to the lecture not having the textbook not looking at it not studying anything not recapping any of it and then expecting to be able to succeed in the class that there's outside work that's necessary if you're going to grow in your faith so the Sunday sermon's not enough, so the word has to be a priority in our life, and that doesn't just simply mean coming to church on Sunday and hearing the word proclaimed on a Sunday. Some reasons why this is important for us. Number one, it's the tool that God uses to reveal himself to me. It's God's tool for how he wants to reveal himself to you. The Bible's not just a, a book of, of do's and don'ts. It's a revelation of who God is. In Luke 24, 27, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And in verse 27 of Luke 24, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus sits down with his disciples. He says, you've been with me for a while now. Let me reveal something to you. Let me, let me give you some deep knowledge of who I am. Let's go to Genesis. And let's work through the Old Testament. And let me reveal to you me. 
Not just let me give you an Old Testament survey class. It's let me show you how the Old Testament is all about me. God reveals himself through his word. God wants to reveal himself to you, and he does that through his word. So the word has to be a priority in our life. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. It's God's tool to reveal himself to us. Secondly, it's the tool that God uses to grow me in my faith. It's the tool that God uses to grow me in my faith. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word grows us in our faith. Third, it's the tool that God uses to guide me in life. Psalm 119 is full of of descriptions about how God's word guides us. It helps us in our decision-making process. It helps us to, to know what God desires for our life. It's where his revealed will for us is. So often we wrestle with decision making about things that we don't know what to do next. And God has said, look, I've told you what to do through my word. If you're faithful to do that, then the rest will take care of itself. God guides us through his word. And then last, it's a tool that God uses to free and protect me from sin. It's the tool that God uses to free and protect me from sin. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It frees us from sin. It cuts us loose. And then it fights sin off for us. It protects us from sin. Number two, what does it mean for the word to be a priority in your life? Now, most people talk about being in God's word from a daily perspective. What does it mean to be faithful in God's word on a daily basis? For me, the way that my mind works is I I evaluate my life typically on a weekly basis. Have I been faithful to my family? I evaluate that on a weekly basis. Have I been faithful to my job? I evaluate that on a weekly basis. And so for me, it's more helpful to evaluate what does it mean for me to be faithful in God's word on a weekly basis? And I want us to, to talk about this a little bit together, and I want to give you some time to think about this. A lot of us grew up in settings where we were told that we were supposed to have a quiet time on a daily basis. And for some of us, we were even in settings where we were told what that was supposed to look like and maybe even how long that was supposed to last. And I know for me, there was a long part of my life where I felt guilty because I wasn't doing what somebody told me my quiet time was supposed to look like. It wasn't lasting long enough. It wasn't producing what it was supposed to produce. I wasn't getting everything in there. I wasn't memorizing scripture every day. I wasn't praying every day. I wasn't doing all these things that I was told a quiet time was supposed to have. And it was supposed to last for X amount of minutes or or hours. And so I felt guilty a lot of times thinking, man, I can't keep up with this pace. I can't, I can't keep up with what I'm being told I'm supposed to do on a daily basis. And God has freed me from that in my later years. Now, as I've evaluated what it means for me to be faithful in God's word on a weekly basis. And so I want to give you guys just some time to contemplate, not study types type thing. Like, you know, if I, I'm not asking like what you do to be in the word. I'm asking, what does it mean if you were to evaluate on a weekly basis? Yes, I was faithful in the word this week or no, I wasn't faithful in the word this week. Because what I don't want us to do as a church is to get so far away from telling you what to do as far as being in the word that we almost leave it so vague as though we don't really care if you're in the word or not that as leadership of this church as we shepherd your souls we have to hold you accountable to being in god's word 
But why don't we be very careful is that we don't impose legalistic standards of saying it needs to look like this. It needs to be for this length of time. It needs to be every day. It needs to be at this time of the day. Because I grew up also being told at times, if it ain't happening in the morning, it ain't happening. I don't care if you're having it at night. It's got to start happening in the morning or it doesn't count. And it was like, man, like, why can't it be in the evening? Like, why can't it be like this? Why does it have to be at this time? Um, so I want to be very careful that we don't impose a standard that, that's not meetable, that only is used to, to force guilt upon you. But I also don't want to be guilty to where we just kind of leave it abstract and say, eh, just read the word if you got time, uh, you know, pick it up if you got some free time on your hand, because most of us aren't going to ever have that. And, and we got real honest a couple of weeks ago at our pizza and theology night, and there was only a few of us there. Um, but I mean, we just kind of laid it on the table and said, look, if it's not a priority, it's got to start becoming a priority because what was being described to me was unacceptable that, that this, this is not okay. Like as men of our church, if we're going to lead our families, if we're going to lead our wives, lead our children, uh, this, this, this is not okay. Like it's got to be a bigger priority than this. So I want to, to, to have you kind of think through what does it mean for you to be faithful in the word? On a weekly basis. How long do you need to be in the word. On a weekly basis. To consider it faithful. So I want you to think about that for a second. In minutes. In hours. What does it look like. At the end of the week. For you to look back on it and say. I was faithful in the word. And if it doesn't reach a certain point. You look back and you say. I really wasn't faithful in the word this week. Anybody got any thoughts on that? I'm looking for, for time, time frame here. Like minutes, hours, like what does it look like for you to look back and say faithful time was spent in the word if I've done this? How many for you, it's a daily thing. It's got to be daily for you to look back and say, I was faithful. Raise your hand. Okay. How much time has to be spent in the word for you to look back and say that was a faithful week in the word? Nope. We're talking week. Weekly basis, at the end of the week, you assess and you say, I spent this much time in the word. Because most of us can tell, can tell us what it looks like to spend faithful time at work. You know, like we're told it's this amount of hours. Uh, so what does it look like to be faithful in the word from a time frame on a weekly basis? Yep. So the total, is that an hour and a half about? You said 15 to no, you said 15, maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then 30 on the other days, an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. Others? Okay. Tyson wanted me to try to use this. I don't know if it works. We'll pretend like it does. Uh, he wanted to hear, like, people's responses. Um, I don't have any indic. I thought you were going. I don't have any indication if that's working. It's not supposed to come through the speakers, I don't think. So Tyson's just hearing you tap, 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 tap. Okay. So the thoughts on what faithful week in the word looks like from a, a time standpoint. Yeah. I mean, nobody, it doesn't change the way you talk. It doesn't come out loud. It's not like being on a mic. I, mean, I think there's there's true elements to that, but then I think um, yeah, I think Jesse's point's true. I think most of us would rather watch a movie in two hours than watch it over the course of a week, ten minutes at a time, because I never really am able to get into it and get engrossed in what's going on with it. So I think there's I think there's could be truth to both. Um, I don't play the piano, so I don't know if it's better to do it. 15 minutes a day or (laughs) 
I guess I would say it's definitely better, like if we're talking about memorizing scripture, to be uh, working on memorization rather than trying to cram it at one time. But if we're talking about uh, studying, retaining, learning, and growing, for me, I know I'm going to learn more if I've got longer time because I'm going to have time to allow my my mind to go and, and, and seek to understand something. If I know I've only got 10 minutes to do it, then my mind immediately is thinking, we ain't, we ain't got time for rabbit trails right now kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. I forgot to bring the mic back to you. No talking without this. Anybody else thoughts on Faithful Week, what that means from a time frame? Uh, my goals for the church. I want to get to the point where, number one, we are spending hours in the Word on a weekly basis. Hours. Not minutes. Hours. And secondly, that we're doing more than just reading the Word. Hours in the Word, more than just reading the Word. Because I've had some spinoff conversations from Pizza and Theology and uh, our cabin trip with individuals in our church. And by and large, what I'm hearing is I read the word when I, when I go to the word, but I wouldn't describe what's taking place. A lot of, a lot of the conversations I've had, I wouldn't describe it as studying the word. We're not becoming students and, and experts in the word the way that I think the author of Hebrews says we're supposed to be. He says, I need to be teaching you something, but I can't because you still need milk. And, and Jake and I have been talking about the difference between going to the word and drinking milk and going to the word and eating the meat of it. It's, it's hard to eat the meat of the word if the longest stretch that we ever spend in the word is 10 to 15 minutes. So going back to that whole Hey, you're supposed to have a quiet time. It needs to be 15 minutes every day. That would be better than uh, a bulk two, three hours in the Word at one time. It's going to be hard for the normal person to be in the Word at a level of depth that I think God's Word commands us to be. Um, so I want to see us get to the point where at the end of a week we're evaluating, have I spent hours in the Word this week? Because... For most of us, we've spent hours doing a lot of other things during the week. Um, and I'm going to talk in a minute about how to handle busy schedules. How in the world am I going to be in the Word for hours? You haven't seen my schedule kind of thing. Um, we're going to talk about how to, how to do that. But I think we've got to get to the point where we can say hours is being spent in the Word on a weekly basis. And that we've moved beyond just reading it to studying it because I would describe reading the word. Some of these reading plans that people get on when read through the word through the year for a lot of us, that's, that's milk. That's I'm reading the word, but I'm reading it, it like I'm reading a book kind of thing. Like I'm reading it, I'm understanding it, but I'm not allotting myself a lot of time to go with it, to allow the Holy spirit to open my eyes to what's going on in this passage of scripture. That's where you start chomping down on the meat of the word. When you give yourself an allotted amount of time to where, Holy Spirit, start teaching me about this. I don't want to just read your word anymore. I want to know your word. Um, so for me, the goal is to get to the point where we're spending hours on a weekly basis. And we're doing more than just reading the word. So number three, what does it mean to drink milk and eat meat from the word? There comes a point where you have to learn to teach yourself. There comes a point where you have to learn to teach yourself. And we're going to get into this more next week with uh, discipleship and discussion about discipleship. Because uh, Will and Tyson were having a conversation, uh, I think, last week. And Tyson was getting my opinion on it as far as, hey, man, let's, let's, let's look at discipleship again. Like, what does this mean for our church? And what I want to get to when we talk about discipleship is I want to equip people in our church to where they are learning and growing on their own. And it's not always necessary to have to sit down and have somebody teach you the word. Like that's the end goal is you've got to get to the point to where 
Your growth is not based on a discipleship meeting. It's not based on a Sunday sermon. It's not based on a Bible study class that you're having with other, other people. That you are learning and growing and teaching yourself on your own. That you know how to go to the well and drink from it. That you can handle the word of God on your own. You can glean from it, learn from it. You can reap the, the riches that come from it. You can go to it and mine that stuff out. That you can dig deep on your own and get that stuff out. If you're always relying on somebody else to give that to you, then you're, you're a milk drinker. You're only capable of going to the word for the milk. You can't go for the meat. And my goal is to see us as a church get to the point. I think the Thessalonians were able to, to eat the meat of the word. Now, obviously, it looked different at that time because most of them didn't have a copy of Scripture. So the conversations that we're having today wouldn't have even been relevant for those people. Talking about having a quiet time, sitting down reading your Bible. We don't have the Bible. So it looked different for them, obviously. But I don't think we can use whatever they did as our example because I think God is going to hold us far more accountable to knowing him, how he's revealed himself in his word. He's going to hold us accountable far more than he held the Thessalonians accountable. It's not going to be, ah, God, I didn't really read my Bible and study it much because I was kind of going off what the Thessalonians probably did. I mean, they didn't have your Bible, so I didn't feel like it was that important to have a weekly time with you. God's going to say, are you kidding me? Like you had resource after resource after resource you ought to know me in depth. I think we need to evaluate our week based on what has God made available to us and how, how deep do I know him based on what he's made available to me? Am I being responsible? All right, in your notes, go deeper. Here's some questions that I think are helpful for you to ask if you're studying scripture. So we're moving away from reading it, milking it, and we're, we're eating from it. Okay, like we're, we're going to it and we're, we're getting meat from the word. Some questions that, now I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't write these questions down and like answer these questions every time I sit down and study the word. What I've discovered is that I answer these questions when I study the word. I don't do it in a systematic way. Like I don't have a form that I fill out when I do this. These aren't even my questions. I got these from somebody else. But what I, when I read these, I identified the fact I try to answer those questions every time I study the word. So for some of you that are learning how to study God's word, it may be helpful to use a God like this. I don't use this anymore because when I go to the word, I'm naturally answering these questions because I've been doing it for a while now. But first, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? What's the contextual meaning of this? So it's a contextual question. What's the context of this passage? What is this trying to say to the original readers? We try to draw that out when we teach on Sunday mornings. You know, what were the Thessalonians going through? What was Paul trying to communicate? What was the setting? What was the context? Secondly, what does the scripture mean? It's a theological question. What does the scripture mean? Not just what is it, what is it trying to say, but what does this mean for life? What does this mean for me? What's the, what's, the, what's the perspective on God that this passage is trying to portray to me? Thirdly, why don't I believe it? Why don't I believe it? It's an apologetical question. Why don't I believe what this passage is saying to me? If you're struggling with sin or doubt and you read passages that should be affirming the opposite, why don't you believe what you're reading? When I study scripture, I start off asking all kinds of questions that I don't understand about the passage. And it becomes my goal for the week to figure out the meaning of those questions. If there's things that I don't understand about the passage, I start writing those things down and it's my goal to answer them. Sometimes I have to go ask somebody, but I, I, I make it my goal to answer those questions through thinking, through meditating, through research. What does this passage mean? Fourth, how is Jesus the hero? It's a Christological question. Jesus says the scriptures point to me. So how does this passage reflect Christ? What is it trying to teach us about Christ? Lastly, why does this matter for my mission? It's a missional question. What does this mean for my life? And last in your notes, and this is where we'll, we'll wrap up. Why do I set aside a morning for hours in the word? Now, I want to give you my example for what it means for me to be faithful in the word on a weekly basis. And, and I've evaluated this enough to where 
I'm confident in saying if you are following this example, um, then you're being faithful in the word. Because I don't want to share an example that falls short of a standard that God would have for us. So I feel confident that while I can even do more by being in the word more, that if you're following this example, then, then as your shepherd, I can say you are, you are being faithful in the word, you are feasting on the word. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to follow this example to the fullest to be, to be faithful in the word. But I just want to give you an example of what this looks like in my life. Um, for me, I'm trying to balance the be in the word a little bit every day and then be in the word a lot for at least one day. Um, so, so just on a weekly basis, this is what it looks like. I know what verses I want to teach on Sunday. So I typically read those verses, and, and you guys know it's usually not a lot. So we're talking one to two verses. I'll read through that on Sunday or Monday. And I will spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday thinking about those one or two verses when I've got free time. If I'm driving to work, driving home from work. Um, if, if for some reason I've got time during the day where I'm not teaching uh, which is rare, uh, then I'll be thinking about those verses. I don't always have my Bible when I'm doing that. It's a short passage. So I can typically remember, I don't have it memorized, but I can typically remember what I read on Sunday or Monday, still on Thursday, because I'm just thinking about those one or two verses. And I'm kind of just meditating on it, mulling it over in my head. I, I, I'm not at a point in my life where I want to sit down. I want to sit down but I don't have the ability to sit down and study for one to two hours every day. I just don't. I've tried the whole get up early in the morning thing, but I already get up at an hour that makes me tired at the end of the day anyways. And for me, I can't afford to get up any earlier because I want to be as energetic as I can be when I come home to be with Lauren and AJ. And, and it's typically not very energetic as it is right now. So to get up even earlier is going to be a further setback to being engaged with my family when I get home from work. Um, so for me, it, it's not a, I've got to be in the word every day as far as journals open, Bibles open, commentaries are open. Um, but I am thinking about God's word every day. I'm thinking about the passage that I plan to study in depth on Saturday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, any free time that I've got, I'm thinking about those two verses, those one to two verses, just kind of mulling them over my head, thinking through what do, what do I think this means, starting to develop kind of a perspective and understanding for myself, understanding how I'm going to potentially approach it and teaching it to you guys on Sunday. And then on Saturday morning, I've, as best I can, protected Saturday mornings to be in the Word. Now, that's hard on our family because that's off day. And that's when I would like to sleep in and just be with my family all day long. But I know that that is the only time for me right now in my schedule, the way that it's set up, for me to be in the Word for hours at a time and it be protected. I can't do it at night. There's just too much going on, whether it's pizza and theology nights or whether it's having people over at our house. Uh, we've got Cortland and Jesse coming over our house at times for uh, just marital discussion and, and, and relationship building there. I can't, I can't protect my evenings right now. To where I can say, okay, 9 o'clock every night, that's when I'm in the Word. It just won't happen. So for me, Saturday mornings, I've protected it. I've guarded it. And if I need to, I get up earlier if we've got something else going on. But I'm typically um, at McDonald's here in Sonoy, 8, 8.30, and I'm going to stay there till 11.30 or 12 every Saturday. Um, again, if something comes up and it, it's just it can't be moved, then my time becomes late Saturday night. Like if, if Lauren and I have to do something on Saturday morning, then I just know in my mind, okay, Saturday night is going to be the time that I have to be in the Word. Um, I, have to, I have to get out of my house to do it. Um, I, have, I have discovered that I am too prone to do other things if I don't isolate myself and condition myself to, to, to know when I'm in this environment, this is study environment. If I try to do it in the kitchen, then I'm going to inevitably wander to my to-do list and start cutting the grass early, uh, start working in the garage. If I'm at home on a Saturday morning trying to study God's Word, I'm going to inevitably start doing something else. Um, I just know that that's how my mind works. 
So I've had to remove myself and I go to McDonald's because McDonald's doesn't have internet. So I'm not tempted to get on, uh, the internet and start surfing and, and commenting on Facebook stuff. Like it is just a protected place for me. Not only do I have to protect the time, I have to protect the environment. Um, and so I go to McDonald's and I'm going to be there three, four hours every Saturday morning. And that's my time in the word. Now I've had daily time reflecting on God's word all during the week. But that's my time to jump in and, and go as deep as I can. And I've set aside that time because I want to communicate to my family. I want AJ and Lauren to know that there are things that I love doing in life. But I want them to know that the word is a priority in my life to where I set aside a big block of time to do it. If I'm going to set aside time to go fishing or play frisbee golf or, or play softball and I protect those times, then I want to communicate to my family, there's also a time slot that I protect for God's word. I want AJ to grow up seeing a dad who, if necessary, has to leave the house on a Saturday morning. Buddy, I'll be home in a little while to play with you, but I've got to go be in God's word for a while. So that he can grow up and develop that pattern too in saying, I've got to set aside time to be in God's word. And, and, and to really be in God's word. Um, so for me, when I look back on a week... Have I been faithful in God's word? It's, it's hours for me. It's, it's going to be four plus hours. Now, some weeks it's more. I mean, when, it, when it's man of lawlessness, I mean, it's Saturday morning and Saturday night to try to figure out what in the world's going on in that passage. But it's going to have to be for me at least four hours probably. Uh, by the time the week is done, I've got to be in the word for that amount of time. And I want to give you some... Some reasons for that. And I've described some, some of them to you a little bit, but I want you to see them in God's word. I think I got this acrostic from uh, John Piper, maybe. Again, this isn't something that is true for me as far as I like wrote this down because it was true for me. It was me reading it and saying, yep, that's why I have to do it this way so that these things are true for me. So the first there is incline my ear to his testimonies. I have to set aside this time because my heart and mind are inclined to do other things. If, if I just leave it to the fact that, hey, I'm going to try to be in the word every day, not a set time, not for a set amount of time, it, it won't get done for me. I'm too prone to do other things. I'm too prone to try to accomplish other things. I've, got, I've always got a to-do list to do. And so if I'm just sitting around and I haven't prioritized it, if I haven't told myself this is time to be in God's word. I'll, I'll, I'll end up doing other things. Uh, Psalm 119, 36. Says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. My heart's inclined to selfish gain a lot of times. If I don't have a set time to be in God's word, I will always, always, always choose to do other things. I'll be selfish with it. And it won't feel selfish because it'll be family time. It'll be activities with other people in the church. Like, it's not like I'm just sitting around, you know, doing something completely unproductive, just being selfish with my time. But I will always find time to do something else if I don't set aside time to be in God's word. Secondly, open my eyes to see wonders in his word. I set aside more a morning for hours in the word because I want him to open my eyes to see the wonders of his word. In Psalm 119:18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Cuz here's what here's what it boils down to for me. If I try to spend 15 minutes a day every day and that's my time in the word, I don't see wondrous things in God's word. I just don't. 15 minutes isn't long enough for me to be wowed by God's word. It doesn't mean it's not good. I mean, I drink the glass of milk and it's like, ah, oh, that was refreshing. What a great, what a great verse. But I need to set aside time to eat the steak. You know, like I need to set aside time for a really good meal. I mean, when you go out to eat at Longhorn, you know, like you're going to be there for a little while. You're going you're gonna to have to wait to sit down to eat. Then you're going to eat. it. It's going to take a little while to make that steak right. And then they're going to bring it out to you. You're going to savor it. And by the, by the time you're done, you've been there for an hour and a half eating. I need that time set aside for God's word. If it's 15 minutes, it's like stopping and going through the drive-thru, eating something real quick. It's gone before you, before you get home kind of thing. And it was like, oh, that was good. 
I didn't really get to savor that for very long. I need to have my eyes opened to the wondrous things that God's word contains. Third, to unite my heart to fear his name. Psalm 86. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I need to prioritize who leads my life. Because if I'm not careful, I spend 15 minutes a day. But that doesn't really communicate to me or to my family that God leads my life. I want Lauren and AJ to know that I have to set aside Saturday morning so that I can be in God's word because I want him to lead our family. I need to know that. I need to humble myself enough to say I have to set aside Saturday mornings to be in his word because I need him. I need him more than 15 minutes a day. I need him for, for, for an extended period of time so that he can lead my life, so that sin in my life can be exposed. Because typically 15 minutes, most of us aren't going to get brought to conviction in 15 minutes because that's part of what God's word is supposed to do. It's supposed to convict us of our sin, open our eyes to our flaws. Most of us aren't getting that potentially in 15 minutes. Now, I'm not saying that's not the case for anybody, but I know for me, in, in my own struggle with pride, I'm not going to sit down in 15 minutes and be exposed to God's word and be fully convicted and ready to repent of my sin. I need that time in McDonald's to be exposed to it. I need to give the Holy Spirit time to work on me because it, it, it may take time for him to get through my pride, to break me down so that I can see where my flaws are. Lastly, to satisfy myself with his steadfast love. Psalm ninety fourteen. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Now, see, some of you would hear that Adam gives up four, four plus hours on a Saturday morning to be in the word. Most of you would think or might would be sitting there thinking, oh, man, like that's my Saturday. Like I got things that I want to do. Are you kidding me till noon on Saturday? You're sitting at McDonald's reading the Bible and studying it. Like, like that doesn't sound very interesting. That doesn't sound very fun. That does not sound how, how I, I want to use my time. But I was sharing with some of the guys, um, maybe just on an individual basis. I long for those mornings at McDonald's. Like, that, like that's something that I look forward to. Like yesterday, we got called to the school for a work day at like the last minute. And I was so frustrated. And I, was, I spent two days thinking about what's a legit excuse that will sound legit to tell these people why I can't be there because telling them that I got to study the Bible for four hours at McDonald's is going to sound like hogwash to them. And so I was frustrated over the fact that I had to cut my time short yesterday. And it was just one of those things where I've tried to protect it, but I knew the ramifications of not being there would be, would be not worth what I would have to deal with. And so I had to cut my time short from what I would like to be in the Word. Again, I, I mean, I can look back on it and say, man, I was there for two hours. It's, it's good time in the Word. I would have liked to have been there for four yesterday. And I had to cut it short. But for me, it's moved beyond a I'm supposed to be in the Word to I get to be in the Word every Saturday morning. And I love it. I look forward to it. I long for it. I don't like leaving Lauren and AJ at home. I'd like to be there for those for those hours. But it's important to me, it's important to me to be able to communicate to them that I need God in that way and that I need to set aside time for that. Now, I'm going to use Tyson as an example because we were having this conversation at Pizza and Theology and, you know, he began to, to reflect to me, man, my schedule doesn't allow that. It just doesn't allow that. Like I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I don't get home until 3 or 4 in the afternoon and I'm in bed by 9 o'clock and from 4 to 9 we're helping Macy eat, we're helping bathe her, we're putting her down, I'm getting maybe an hour with my wife at night and then I'm in bed. So he was like, I don't know when this is supposed to happen for me because I don't see how it happens for me during the week. And for him, Saturdays work differently and so he doesn't have the opportunity to do that. I said, I don't know Tyson. I said, but what you need to understand is that as a godly man in this church, but even more so as an elder in this church, I got to know that you're spending hours in the word. It's got to happen. You've got to figure it out. And for him, and he may share this more when he gets to teach, for him it's become Sunday mornings. 
And he's up at five o'clock on Sunday mornings before church. And he's studying God's word for hours at a time because he wants to see the wondrous things that are contained in God's word. It ain't easy to get up at five o'clock on a Sunday morning for him and study, I'm sure. But even what I've gotten back from him is that he's, he's looking forward to it on a weekly basis now. That he's starting to, to get deeper than he ever has in his own personal study in God's word. And, and it's starting to, to have an effect on him to where he's longing for it more and more. And that's what I've seen happen for me. In the beginning, getting up on Saturday mornings was frustrating. I got to go prepare a sermon. I wish I was full time. I wish I had time to do this during the week so I didn't have to give up my Saturday mornings. But it's progressed into, I look forward to Saturday mornings. I want to be in the Word Saturday mornings. I long for it. I long to eat from the Word in that way. So for me, that's the example that I'm setting for you guys. Um, I want you to be in the Word for hours in a week. Not every day, but for a week. For you to evaluate, when is a time in my schedule during the week that I could carve out one hour, two hours, and just say, God, teach me the wondrous things. Maybe it's late at night one night. Maybe it's a Monday night. Put the kids down. We're up late. I'm just going to sit at my, my table, and we're, I'm going to study God's word for, for an hour or two tonight. Maybe it's early morning. Maybe it's during the middle of the day. I don't know what, what each individual schedule is. That's why I can't impose some legalistic standard of it needs to be this way. Because Tyson and Adam McLeod aren't functioning if they have to do theirs in the mornings for 30 minutes. I mean, they, they can't do it. They can't get up any earlier. But both of them have found time in their schedule to carve out to be in the Word. And I want to challenge you guys to do the same. To be in the Word for hours. Not from a legalistic standpoint, but because you want to see the things that God has for you. And it's going to take potentially hours for that to happen. But also having those 10 to 15 minute times during the day throughout the week where you are just kind of drinking from God's word a little bit at a time, but not trusting for that to sustain you to say, I'm going to be in the word and it's going to be hours. Questions or thoughts on that before we close. And some of you don't have the, the ability to remove yourself. So, you know, you have to fight the temptation to do laundry and do those other things. You know, for me, I'm not good at fighting those temptations. That's why I have to leave. Um, cause if I stay in my house, I'll, I'll do those things. Um, cause my mind works in the way of if I can get all those things done, then I can really focus. But having those things kind of looming over me makes me not focus. Cause it's like, man, I need to be doing those things. And so I've, it's, it's been really cool to see how God's worked in this. Cause he's really conditioned my mind when I'm at McDonald's. I don't think about leaving early to go home and do those things. I've really been able to train myself to know this is what I do in this environment. I study. I study freely. Um, I don't have schedule stuff imposing upon me to where I have to leave early kind of thing, except for, you know, like when work days get scheduled at the last minute. Sarah, you weren't supposed to be there. I know you're concerned about <laughs> why you weren't at the work day. It was sports-related. <laughs> all right well i'm going to close this out in prayer uh again next week we're going to be talking about like being in the word this way so that we can then teach other people what we're learning in the word so we'll kind of tie this in with next week's stuff as well we're going to be talking about um i want to give you some some good examples for what to start doing with a new believer because as we pray through this salvation list and people start hopefully getting saved or as God potentially brings young believers into your life, where do you start with them? What should I be doing with them? I want to give you some some guidelines for this is what I would do with a new believer kind of thing. Get them started and then um, allowing some freedom then to then kind of go in different directions based on who they are. So we'll be talking about that some uh, next week. Kyle, prayer request. Okay.
Okay. We can definitely do that. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have given us uh, the word for us to read and study together as a, as a church. God, I'm thankful that we live in a time in, in history where we have the, the whole Bible. We have it in a language that we can understand. We don't have to trust somebody else to read it to us because it's written in a, in a language that the common person doesn't speak. God, help us to see how much privilege we've been given. Uh, the amount of resources that we have available to us to know your word. Um, and God, I pray that we'd be responsible and faithful with those things. Um, God, that you would impress upon us to examine our schedules and to carve out time in, in our schedule where we can prioritize your word. Um, God, my desire is that if uh, others were to look into the lives of our church members, that it would be evident and obvious that the word is a priority. God, we want to be like the Thessalonian church where it was radically changed because of your word. We want to continue to believe in salvation because of your word. We want to stand firm in our faith because of your word. And God, we don't want that to just come from the Sunday sermon or from one-on-one -on -one discipleship. God, we want that to come from our own individual studies. So God, I pray that we would be people who are faithful to eat the meat of the word and not just drink the milk. God, help us to realize that that's probably going to require longer periods of time in your word. God, I pray that you would increase a desire for that to where we move away from a, I have to do this to, I get to do this. God, I pray that you'd be with Kyle today as he gets to interact with his dad. Give him the grace that he needs um, in the words that he uses. Um, God, I pray that you would um, allow him to be spirit-led in his conversations and his actions with his dad. Um, God, I pray that he would fight against any uh, fleshly responses to anything that his dad might would say while they're spending time together. Um, God, help him to represent Christ well. Give him opportunities to proclaim the good news of what you're doing in his life. God, I pray that you'd be with all of us as we proceed through our week. Um, God, that we would be intentional with our time, intentional with the relationships of people in this church, that we would be an encouragement to each other, that we would pray for one another, love each other, and serve each other. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.